So you want to go to Manchester, but how? About time you invented your own form of transport. What are you thinking? A kind of seat on wheels? Great. With free Wi-Fi, fancy food and some tiny bottles of wine? Yeah. And this invention, it goes at 125 miles an hour with toilets? You mad genius. What is this totally original creation of yours? Oh, wait. You're going to kick yourself when you realise. Virgin Trains. Search Virgin Trains for all this and more. Free Wi-Fi available across 88% of all journeys excludes voyages. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to... Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic come musical, that's... Come musical, not a slash musical. Slash musical. I should have. I should have made it absolutely <laughs> but not clear. Not slash fic musical. No, not one of those either. That explores the life of one of our most beloved legends, most glorious of singers, Sir Reginald Dwight himself. How exciting! And joining me over the next minutes to talk about this movie in excruciating, wonderful detail are three of my finest rocket people. Should we go with that? Sure. John Nugent is here. Hello, Hello. John. John, who reviewed this film for Empire Magazine. Yes. How are you, John? I'm all right. I'm I'm still standing. That's great, John. <laughs> that's Thank you. Good one. Good yep. one there. Yep. Do you work on that one? Uh, I did have to Google Elton John songs <laughs> before. Wow, we're in, we're in safe hands here. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit funny. This feeling inside. There we go. Oh God. There we go. What? What? That's what I feel whenever I see uh, my good friend Stevie Wong. How are you, sir? This is an exciting day for me because I feel like I'm getting uh, like a front row private uh, pod live experience. And uh-huh. so, you know, just <laughs> listening to you guys for a while and just to be able to see you is uh, this is a treat. So I'll just sit here and just laugh and you pretend I'm an audience no, member. No, no, Stevie, we want you to speak as oh, well. That's a, whole, that's a whole point. That's a oh, whole point on. of bringing you in on the show. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, Stevie is a, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. I don't want to bother you up too much, but you're a world-renowned uh, raconteur, broadcaster, whatever else you do. Hero. <laughs> Hero. Hero, yes. Hero. Again, we were talking about how great, great karaokeist. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and you were in Cannes. You were the only person at this table who was actually in Cannes yeah, to see Rocket Man premiere at Cannes as oh, well. Wow. So we'll be, yes. we'll be delving deep into your experiences there as well. Uh, and also we're joined by our geek queen. Helen O'Hara. Hello. How are you? I'm all, I'm achy, but I'm all right. I'm you know, fine. it seems to me, Helen, mm-hmm. that you live your life <laughs> like a candle in the wind. <laughs> As Dean Lerner once said in Garth Marenghi, I, I she lived her life like a candle in the wind. Many, Unreliable. Many, <laughs> many people have compared me to Marilyn Monroe over the years, so that's just the have latest they one. Have, have they though? Have they though? Have they though? <laughs> They have More not. like Princess Di, I feel. That's, that seems I a mean, bit like, yeah. I, mean, I not, honestly yeah. don't know which is less likely. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> a mashup, how's that? Sure. All the worst parts of each. <laughs> there were no worst parts of each. They were angels. They were. They were precious, precious angels. But before we dig into the film and we take some of your questions on the film as well, let's hear from the man who directed it a couple of weeks ago or last week. Anyway, time is a blur for me right now, but recently, let's settle for that. Recently, I went to a London hotel room and I spoke with the director of Rocketman, Dexter Fletcher. Now, it's interesting because when we first decided to do a spoiler special for Rocketman, it actually, you know, there's a bit of discussion about this going back and forth in the office because it's a biopic, right? It's, you know, these things usually very, very straight down the middle. But I think there's plenty in this film to get into in terms of, you know, the song choices and the structure of the movie and obviously Taron Egerton's performance and 
all that sort of stuff. And so we actually got into it for a good 25 minutes or so. And I, it was one of those ones where I left going, I wish I had another 20. So I uh, had a lot of uh, fun with this one. Here is Dexter Fletcher in very candid mood talking about Rocketman. Do please enjoy. Now we're delighted to be joined on this very special Rocketman spoiler special with the director, Dexter Fletcher. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you. Let's not pretend we've just uh, had a chat two All seconds right, ago. All right, we did, yeah. <laughs> now you want to go more. I do. In, we want to go in depth, in depth. And the first thing I want to ask you, the big question on everyone's lips, well, principally mine, yeah. is uh, why did you not use Are You Ready For Love? What is going on? Are you saved for sequels? Are you ready for love? <laughs> uh, yeah, look, there's an embarrassment of riches when it comes to <laughs> this isn't there and you know there's many many that have fallen by the wayside I can't I couldn't fit them all in I still felt that I was I was still shoehorning them in a, you know <laughs> a while ago no it's like what I had to be really uh, um, responsible for about was using the right song at the right time yeah. and uh, there's a very particular journey that Elton needs to go on and um, if that had been right for a certain point in the film and I'd needed it, I would absolutely have, have took it. You know, the Someone Saved My Life Tonight is another fantastic song mm. and Taron's favourite, but I, it doesn't find its place because that's what each each song has to earn its place, really. Do you know what I mean? The same mm. as a scene has to earn its place, a, a character has to, mm. a line of dialogue, uh, anything that anything that happens in, in the script needs to, yeah. Was, was part of you, though, thinking about potential follow-ups because the movie finishes it begins and finishes at a very specific point in Elton's life and career when he chooses to get sober it's the mid-80s you finish with I'm still standing there's still there's still what god 30 odd years now of Elton's life to tell were you thinking about Mm. maybe we'll save that one for a future film well no is this no I mean (laughs) you know it's like we deal with a particularly interesting period and it is now a period piece in that respect mm. it's the 60s 70s 80s it's long enough to call it period yeah um and you know it's a drama yeah it's got to have conflicts and danger in it and and all these other elements and and if i'm completely candid since he came out and got clean life's been pretty good he's got it <laughs> under control he's met his husband the love of his life he's settled down he's got kids he's on the road he's touring he's yeah. You know, and I, I suppose you could do all of that, but I don't know if it's as easy to dramatise as someone who's going through a lot of self-loathing and uh, and and is on a, a course of self-destruction. Mm. Um, um, that that and how they traverse that and how they survive that—that's what the film was about. I I wouldn't know what the part two was looking to be talk about. What's it talking about? It would be looking talk around, and go, hey, everything's great, which which is um, it's good, but it's I don't think it's a very long movie. Do you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> and if it was just like, hey, you know, it was a biopic, you know, then you could just keep knocking it out. But that's not the, not the desire. It is yeah. to create something different. Yeah, there's, there's going to be no Jolson sings again to the uh, the Jolson story of. Oh, that's what I saw. Oh, right, of course. I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah, the jazz singer Jolson sings again. Yeah, no. El- Elton sings again. Elton sings again. Sings some more. <laughs> hmm. um, without going through the film song by song, I do want to talk about some of the key songs that you have placed throughout the movie. Mm. You start with uh, the bitches back, and mm. that's you. We, we were talking on the uh, the regular podcast. You said that initially that wasn't the case. No, Pinball Wizard was the original. Really? At the beginning, yeah. Okay. Um, in the first script that I read. And I understand why it comes out. It, 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 it's a it's a heavy hitter, Pinball Wizard, you know. 
ever since I was a young boy, I've played the silver ball and I get it. And, and um, But what I very quickly said was, this isn't an Elton John song. Mm. And I felt that that was probably a misstep at this particular moment <laughs> to start a film about Elton John with somebody else's song. Yeah. Because it's not how I intended to go on. So that initially made me go, I want to rethink that. I want to relook at that. So then I started trying, you know, listening to other songs. What other songs come with that kind of impact? What other songs come with that sort of attack? Mm. And um, quickly fell upon Bitches Back. Um, but then that also started playing into my ideas of here's someone entering rehab, assuming one kind of thing about themselves. I am the bitch. I'm a bitch. That's mm -hmm. who I am. I'm Elton and I'm, you know, he's kind of created this armour of that's mm. who I am because of all this sort of self-loathing and, and not being ever... And I've always been that. And you look back at your childhood self and the assumption is is that Elton believes that at nine years old he was a the bitch. And that's why the kid goes, I'm a bitch, I'm a bitch. And, you know, what nine-year-old kid is a bitch? You know, mm. you don't have time to develop that skill yet at nine years old or younger. <laughs> uh, you don't, do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, and this is a big part of Elton's journey, why the kid says to him at the end what he does. Because Elton has to go, oh, yeah, I was a kid. And what kind of kid was I? And he has to revisit and get back to who that kid was so that he can embrace him rather than make the kid the same person that he is now, because then he can make himself the same person as that kid who he really was. That, it's, that's the bigger, mm. the bigger journey. And, and, it, and it really appealed to my sense of humour to have a, a nine-year-old going, I'm a bitch, I'm a bitch. <laughs> I just think that's funny as well. But in, the, in terms of the bigger, you know, the bigger picture, that... That addresses more about fundamentally where this Elton is at at this particular time and yeah. the journey he has to make. That's a big journey. And what you have there as well is at the beginning of the movie and, in fact, in I Want Love as well, right away you have other people other than Taron mm. singing the songs. Yeah. So right away you're going, this is a musical, guys. If you're not prepared yeah. for this, strap yourselves in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's why the kid the kid sings. They all don't sing and dance and jump around because it's the one thing I, I, I decided and, and discovered kind of works very quickly with Sunshine on Leith is that the first thing you hear is someone sing. Although it starts in an armoured personnel car carrier, mm -hmm. uh, could be tomorrow, could mm -hmm. be today, it's the first thing you hear someone sing. So you know exactly where you're at. Mm -hmm. If you don't like that, you can, you, you're not too far in to, to, <laughs> to go, to leave. You know, you're not like, oh, no, I'm committed now. I've got me 15 minutes in and everyone's singing. That was probably, I've been conned in. Damn it, I hate musicals. You know, straight, straight off the bat, you go, you know, and I really wanted that to be honest and straightforward yeah. up front. The same yeah. with, you know, Taron coming in and being argumentative and combative. Right, how long is this going to take? Yes. Elton's like, oh. In his family yeah, yeah, like, as well. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, we're in the room with Elton. Yeah. You know, that's, that gives Taron the chance to come in and set out, I am Elton and this is who Elton is. Mm. So we, we believe that and buy that and he plays it with this sort of truth and honesty that mm. that maintains, I believe. And you go straight in then to uh, I Want Love where you have everybody, virtually the cast, um, Elton's family, uh, Stephen McIntosh and Bryce Dallas Howard singing parts of the song as well. And throughout the film, that you, there are moments like that as well. You know, Richard Madden sings mm. in Honky Cat. Um, Jimmy Bell, Bell sings in Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. But otherwise, it is by and large 
Karen mm. as Elton singing all Elton yeah. songs. Did, were you, at any point did you go down that, that traditional musical road of giving other people a solo, of giving other people their, their songs? So, well, yeah. I suppose I'd do it a bit in... Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. I love and like and yeah, yeah. Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think because everyone is connected to Taron Elton yeah. and, and Elton wants to connect all these people. And, and the great thing about musical is that people can sing, but it doesn't mean that everybody else in the room has to hear them. You know, that's, I think, for me, is the difficult thing about musicals, what puts some people off. And it's kind of, the, I suppose, a bit of the trick that I play is that not everybody else can hear the song. Mm-hmm. which means that it's that character opening their heart to the audience. The audience can hear it, but it's not like everybody else starts jinging and singing and dancing. <laughs> that happens in the beginning that, you know, that everyone's here and, and, and Elton is shocked by that. But then as it goes on, sometimes people sing and, you know, when, when Jamie sings, when are you going to come down? When are you going to land? Mm. Elton doesn't hear it. He carries on eating his dessert. Yeah. Yeah. And that means that we know it's, how Bernie feels about his friend at that time. And that just seeps through to Elton, you know, and then later comes back to become part of what he sings. Oh, I get it. And that's what connects him to Bernie. And I hopefully, maybe that's what makes it more palatable if you go, because it's really hard to get it when, you know, when Dick Van Dyke sings Chim Chimney, Chim Chimney, that everybody sings and everybody dances, that everybody gets it. Because I suppose we can all relate to having a tune run around in your own head. Yeah. But if everybody else started bopping along to it as well, you'd be like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> um, but it's, yeah. it's nice because you, uh, you you can have your cake and eat it in a way with this movie because, you, you know, it, it's about Elton. So therefore you can have performance moments. You can have moments where he's singing Pimple Wizard, in fact, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, to a whole bunch of people across many different yeah, concerts. Yeah. You have that moment of Crocodile Rock where everyone levitates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you have those fantastical moments as well. You know, you have Sorry Seems to Be the Hardest Word where everyone in the restaurant is is singing mm. as well mm. and it's it's all inside Elton's head. Rocket yeah. Man is all yeah. inside Elton's yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until he brings it out onto the stage yeah. and it's, it's, it's connected, you know, that connects his emotional internal life to his exterior life. You know, this is, this is what the, the songs can do so well. You know, because we use the songs that are familiar to us and we know that have been, you can go and buy a single of Rocket Man, you know, but what we do is, is, is connect, like I say, that internal voice to the outside world. And, and that's, yeah, that is a real luxury that, that we have. It's the same with Crocodile Rock. It's like, oh yeah, it's Crocodile Rock singing that, but then it becomes completely surreal and magical and it becomes a different version of Crocodile Rock that we haven't heard before. And it, it becomes part of the fantasy and part of the, the storytelling mm. that then bump jumps back down into reality, and that was real, really exciting to to find a way to find those moments and find ways of doing that. Um, and what was that process like? Because there, there are moments like, for example, your song is basically as close as you get, I would say, to a conventional biopic in this, mm. in that it is a moment of discovery both for Bernie and for Elton. Mm. And it's that moment where we're basically seeing a man writing the song, which is, mm. I think, pretty much what happened, right? This is as close as you can get to and there's, there's, an old, there's an old 1971 Arena documentary that I found yeah. very early on of him writing, writing Tiny Dancer. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, and, and uh, it's Elton sitting at a piano and Bernie's kind of sitting in the corner of this little bed sit somewhere, wherever the hell it is, or somewhere with a piano. Uh-huh. Young Elton, 1971. And he's like, oh, yeah, and, and uh, Bernie's written this thing, so he's called it Tiny Dancer. And, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so I put it up here and he puts it on, the, it's the handwritten 
you know, lyrics are tiny. He puts it on the back and he goes, and I read this first line, I go, uh, you know, um, um, Blue Jean Baby. I go, Blum, and I know it's a kind of bluesy thing. It's a bit it's a bit melancholic, and I know uh, that uh, it's country. Music. Blue Jean Baby, boom, L.A. Lady, and he starts sort of playing it, and just these chords. And he goes, and I get to this bit, ballerina, and I move it down here to the bottom, and I go, jump, jump, ballerina, and he changes it up completely. He goes, but there he goes, I oh, know it's going to be a ballad. And... And and I watched that. I was like, "Fuck me! It's him writing Tiny Dancer." Yeah. And so I, why, how I absorbed that was I when they first meet. Elton says, "I could hear the whole tune in my head. I got everything, the words, the music in there, and I just and I just have to get it out. My hands can't yeah. work first enough to keep up with my 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 brain. Do you get that?" And yeah. was like, no, I don't get it because that's what <laughs> Elton gets. That's he has this sort of like this this vision of of genius songs that are inspired by what Bernie writes and they fall out of him and 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 I and I wanted that for your song because your song's so important to them it's such an important moment in, in Elton and Bernie's life that it changed everything um and and I wanted it as a moment of inspiration and just connection between these two and 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 it's not that far-fetched because I can show you that documentary and you go, oh, yeah, shit, he's writing Tiny Dancer. <laughs> I just transposed it to, to your song. You have that fun moment as well where he's first playing uh, songs for, for Ray as well and uh, Stephen Graham's uh, character later on. And you get the sense that he's making some of them up on the spot. Yeah. He, there's a candle in the wind where you hear candle in yeah, the wind yeah. really briefly. Yeah. And otherwise you don't you don't go near that song, no. uh, which, which was interesting. Was that because, I guess, in a way of... What it's become, Candle in the Wind? I suppose so. I mean, there just wasn't another space for it in, the, you know, uh, you know, in the film. Uh, because I couldn't, I suppose, take Candle in the Wind and make it about him or Bernie or any other character. You know, goodbye, Norma Jean. No, I never knew you at all. It's so specific. You'd have to change the lyrics again. Yeah. 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 And, and I really wanted to resist that urge. It was so... Because then it talks about James Dean and it talks about other people who are there and then gone. It's not just about Marin in that song. Yeah. So I just have to have fun with it. I'm like, where's a fun way I can get it in? And he, and he plays it and the guy says, well, what's that called? He says, oh, I don't know. Just made it up. What, just now? Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll just say your name was again. You know, it's sort of, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's got to be fun. It's got to be like, because we recognise that immediately yeah. and, and we know somewhere down the line he'll use it again. Uh, there are several key relationships in the movie. Uh, Elton and Bernie, obviously, is a very, very important one. And there's a couple of moments in the film where uh, Elton says, we've never had, we've never had an argument. Mm. And even at the end, you reiterate, in 50 years, they've never had an argument. Yeah. Now, when you're making a movie and conflict is the source of drama, that must be a pretty tough one to navigate. Yeah, because that's, I mean, like, you know, that is, that's what <laughs> they say. And I think what he means... Do you believe it? <laughs> I don't know. I you know. I I think maybe they never had an argument about m music. Yeah. Or or the way the song should be. I'm not sure. Or maybe they've never had an argument in their personal life and they've argued about music and how it should be. But maybe their definition of an argument is different from everyone else's. Yeah, maybe it is exactly. And 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 so I I treat it kind of in the film. You know, he says it quite early on, and there's a guy looking at him. He just sort of raises his eyebrow, like, "Really?" You know, because it's a pretty hard thing to to believe. But we have an Elton at such a time who's just who also claims that his father's always hugging him, and we've seen his dad a moment ago say, "Don't be soft." Mm. 
you know, when he asks him for a hug. So we know that Elton at that particular time is still somewhat guarded and and, and just chucking out the sound bites rather than the truth because that comes later. A pinch of pinch of salt. And yeah, they have, they have the they have the confrontation on the on the jet as well, which is as close. Yeah, they do. They exactly, and that, that doesn't mean you know it's not necessarily a full blown out argument. I mean, you know, and he shouts at him at backstage of Royal Albert Hall, um, and he doesn't say, "I've never shouted at Bernie." <laughs> <laughs> I get the impression that Elton shouted at most people. <laughs> he might. I don't know. I don't know. You know. I, yeah. You know. It, I just. I'm sure he shouted at Bernie, and Bernie's going, "Yeah, okay." He's. You know. Yeah. He's having a moment. That's what. That's what we set up quite clearly in the beginning. That he is subject to nerves. You know. He goes to the troubadour. He goes, "Hey, Leon Russell and the Beach Boys and Neil Diamond are outside. Fuck!" He locks himself in the loo. So we know that he's human. That he. Mm. He's. He's scared. I love that. Get out, get out of the toilet, you little twat. Yeah, you little twat. Well, come on then. You know, like nothing's happened. It's, and and I think so we know that, yeah, he's human. Of course he didn't just bowl out on stage every time and knock out an incredible show. That It's 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 a challenge for him, uh, which, you know, it is. It's interesting because it's not a biopic and you're not doing that traditional biopic thing of taking off the boxes. You leave the uh, a few things for the audience to fill in for themselves. Mm. And one of them is Elton's... Um, Ponchon for flamboyance. Mm. So suddenly he's just wearing those different spectacles at, the, at each gig. Was, was there a moment when you had that filled in, a line maybe? Yeah, like there was yeah. a little bit more with Lee Francis, actually, who appears briefly in the film. As, oh, yeah, as okay. a guy called... Um, Peter, Peter, please. Yeah, yeah, Peter, he's called. Yeah. He, there, was a, there was a shop that Elton used to go to very early on where, where the guy would lend him clothes. Um, and we couldn't really get access to that. Uh, for various different reasons, but also running time as well. That's why Lee's a little bit sandwiched in there. There is a, there is a scene that's a little more exploratory into that. But also okay. Dick James says to him, go out there and put on a great fucking show. Let them know who you are. And and that's part and parcel of Elton's like, okay, you've got to put on a show. And that's what what... You know, when he goes to the Troubadour and a guy goes, what the hell are you wearing? He says, my stage gear. So there is a, there is, it is in there. It's it's kind of a dress, but it's not kind of like, ah, bing, big blinding light moment, on go the glasses and I <laughs> and I become this thing. Um, because there's some things that I just have to lean into that are maybe more important. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the clothes become an armour. Yeah. Because movies, movies of this scale... Are movable feasts as well. I was lucky enough to be on set and during the Honky Cat mm, sequence, in I fact. Remember, yeah. And I know there was a, 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 that was a bit longer at one mm, point. There was intentions yeah. for it to be a bit longer. There yeah, was yeah. A, a longer dance sequence yeah, yeah, one as well. Yeah, yeah, world record, yeah. Yeah, well, can you talk about things that you cut, why that went? And I think there might have been something more in, sorry seems to be the hardest word as well. And I'm sure, oh, yes, I'm sure yes. there were some other oh, things. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. Well, sometimes it's just about running time and length. And it's kind of like, has something said all it needs to say? Mm. And, or has something become, you know, uh, I think it's what I was saying earlier to you about, you know, there's only so much of a certain thing you could see. Not that, the, you know, the dance numbers are great, but it, it it just yeah. It just when they, when they sort of at, not as stayed there welcome. And I don't want to say that because it's not that. It's just okay. We've got there now. We need to move on. We need to. And and sometimes the sacrifices have to be made. And those those are a couple of things. Did you know? There's a beautiful bit where 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 she says to him, "Ever since you were, you've been born, you've been lucky." And she has this go at him, and he sits there and he sings, "You know, what have I got to do to make you love me?" 
Mm. And it's really brilliantly sung. It's a great moment. There's a great lighting change. And he gets up and he walks in slow motion through the restaurant. But it's like we know he's there. And that part of the film I thought was sort of slowing down. It is changes gear dramatically and we're getting into something far more introspective. And I don't want to... I didn't want to spend all of that good grace by just drawing that out. Mm, and I, yeah. you go to town and say, that's cut. And he's like, if you, that's what you've got to cut, that's what you've got to do. Things have to go. And certain things just, yeah, sometimes have to Elton go sings again, the good. Huh? Elton sings again. Elton sings again. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's all there for that. Exactly. I talked about some of the relationships that are important to Elton. John Reed is clearly a very important relationship for him in this movie. And Elton's sexuality as well mm. is is fully embraced and explored, I would say, in, in, in this mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Um, how important was that? And how important was it for you to show that relationship with John Reed as an abusive one, as something that went south very, very quickly? It, it was, it is important because it's, because I, well, I, you know, Elton's a gay man and, you know, this is, the moment of his awakening. I mean, sure, he has a fumble backstage with a, with a with a cool dude from the from the Motown tour, but it's significant in anybody's life that first moment. He's and, intoxicated with him. Yeah, he's intoxicated with him, and he's very charming. He's very urbane. He's very good looking, mm. and but Reed speaks not only to Elton's personal fascination, but also it's a it's it's a tipping point for Elton because he goes to LA and he becomes Elton John in the full sense of the word. He becomes a phenomena. He becomes a worldwide phenomena. And is John Reed just John Reed, or is he the machine mm-hmm. that wants to go rap we eat our young? Which the music industry is kinda notorious for. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which, so there's other things looked at there that manifest themselves in read, but are not necessarily read. Mm. If you see what I mean, yes. this is what I mean. It's 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 his memory. It's 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 Elton's memory. What he attributes it to, and yes, that relationship becomes toxic, but also the relationship with the industry and and himself in relation to that has to be worked out as well. And Elton is getting chewed up by that. That's what Pimble Wizard is about. That's why I put Pimble Wizard there. Because the words of Pimble Wizard are about someone becoming part of the machine. And when you're part of the machine at that extent, when you're generating that much money for all those people, it's easy to get lost. And that's when he pops out the other side and John Reed's there getting a blowjob in the garden. Mm. And he says, you know what Elton John is to me? He's an $87 million a year industry. Mm. And Elton's still very personal and real and emotional. And Reed is absolutely closed because business doesn't have emotion. Business doesn't care who you are. It only cares what you can deliver. Because Elton from the off, I think he knows that Dick James is going to screw him over. But he thinks, I think he actually gives something of himself over to, to yeah, the Reed the, character the, in but, this movie. Absolutely. But that's it. You see, you know, what's, what's more alluring? You know, the thing that you think, oh, I can tame that, or I can, oh, that's really strong. Dick James actually does not screw him over. Dick James is actually really loving. Mm. That's how I approach him. Dick James was a great fucking bloke. I manifested him in someone who's quite abrasive and like, you know, fucking Stevie Graham comes in and does his top top work. But if you look at Dick James, he's a lovely guy. He says to him, what does he say to him? I'm going to put you on three albums a year. I'm going to pay you £10 a week. Write me songs that grey-haired old tramps will whistle in the street. <laughs> uh, um, 
That one's shit. It's the 1% I'm interested in. I'm interested in you. Who heard of songwriters who don't live together? Get a place together and write me songs. He's absolutely really encourages him every step of the way. He's giving to him. Go, go to the troubadour. He pays for him to go to the troubadour and makes him Elton John. And don't kill yourself with drugs. Now, don't kill yourself <laughs> with drugs is what your nan would say to you. It's the best advice he gets it's in the, the movie. It's the best advice he gets in the movie. And he goes, yeah, all right then. Uh, but then Dick James, well, I'm off to get a massage. But the, the point is that, that Dick James, you seemingly go, oh, what a shyster, cigar, you know, swearing and effort and blinding. Actually, he really cares. And then when Elton moves over to Reed, he's hurt. And he, that's why he, 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 the one shitty thing he says is he goes to John Reed, you fucking pufta. That's when there's a side of me he just can't, because he's hurt. He's, that's when he's fucked over. Elwin doesn't, Dick James doesn't fuck, he gives him a free album deal. It's mm. fucking great. The truth is Dick James put him on a retainer for £10 a week for over a year, which was a lot of money back in 1970. Kept him going, kept him going. So... I know that it's perceived that way, but my true feelings about Dick James is I have a real affection for him and I know I've portrayed him in a particular way that is not fair to him in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. They used to call him Uncle Dick because he was lovely. And yeah, they had their business things and all of that, but he was a nice bloke. And so I that's why I got Steve Graham. Steve Graham's a lovely, lovely man. And we talked about this. It's like you love him. You've got affection for him. You know he can make you money, but you love him as well as a talent. And that's what Dick James really is. So speed round real quick. Um, we mentioned on the regular podcast that Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me wasn't originally in the draft that you read, the Lee Hall no. draft you read. No. Uh, it is now in the film. It is basically sets up and tells really the story of Elton's marriage to Renata in mm. about three minutes. Mm. Can you talk about that, uh, putting that in? Well, because it's, you know, I was sitting and talking with Vaughan and he was like, what about Renata? What about Renata? I'm like, I don't know how it plays. He goes, people want to know about it. And so I had to find a way of, of talking about it and looking at this incredible moment that we all saw from the outside and, and what did it really personally mean? And, and I spoke to Elton and he was like, I felt really lost at that time. I was really lost. And so I was looking around and this, you know, this person was there for me. And, and I thought, oh, I haven't tried being married to a woman. Maybe that's what I need. You know, that's someone who's profoundly lost. And that's what the film looks at in that moment. And that's why he says to her, says in the rehab, I shouldn't have dragged her into my madness. I think he genuinely feels like he apologises to her as well. And it's just trying to truncate and put that experience and that moment into a song and a person and, and something that, that we go, oh, it really is rock bottom. And telling it in a way that, that makes it clear to the audience as well uh, that Elton is still a gay man and that it is not a sexual attraction. That, you know, after they get married, the first thing we see them do is emerge from separate bedrooms. Yeah, exactly. You know, and we know that. It's not like he's suddenly going, oh, actually, I think I'm straight. You know, he's gay, <laughs> he's gay. He's, but but he, is, he is alone. And, yeah. and, um, and isolation and loneliness is not just about who you sleep with. It's about who loves you. And the last thing before we let you go uh, mm. is the key line in the movie. Is it, I've been a cunt since 1975? <laughs> you know, it's not usual for the C word to appear in a, in a mainstream movie. Well, did you have pushback on that? Um, no, is the honest answer. I mean, there was debate about it. Huh? And I, you know, that, it wasn't pushback. I wouldn't say it was pushback because that would be unfair. They'd be like, you can't have that. They'd be like, <laughs> this word. I'm like, okay, let you me can make have it this, absolutely clear. It's actually what he said. Okay. And without the audience knowing that he acknowledges it and recognises it in himself, 
that that's who he was. That's what he was. We don't fully know that he's actually turned the corner and now he's on the way back up because he doesn't use it about anyone else. He doesn't apply it to anyone else or say you can or any. He talks about it as himself. And it means he has the, that's his epiphany moment. That's the moment when he's starting, he's turning the last page and he's coming out the other side. And that's why it's so key. And that's why it's only used there. And, and you know, people understood that very quick. It's not like, I mean, of course, studio people say, um, is there another way? I say, no, there isn't another way to do it. And I go, okay, all right. Well, I had to ask because I respect that you had to ask, but the answer's no. Bell end, dickhead. Yeah, yeah. No, no. No, yeah, I've got all of those as well, but no. <laughs> all right, fantastic. Dexter, I could talk to you about this movie for uh, a lot longer, but I'll let you go. Thanks, Thanks, man. Cheers. Okay, so that was Dexter Fletcher. And now let us get in to Rocket Man. Steve, I'm going to start with you. Sure. Because you were in Cannes to see the Cannes open. The and the, the worms everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> how, how was it? What was that experience like? Uh, it was really cool because building up to it, it was in the beginning of the festival. And so that was the big star studded kind of event. Uh, there was talk that uh, it was going to be exciting to see Elton and Bernie Taupin, who co wrote a lot of the songs uh, that we're going to, that you see in the film. Uh, the fact that they're watching it together for the first time was a really exciting moment for them. Yeah. And uh, they just weren't sure about Elton in terms of how he was going to react. They knew he was going to be emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Throw shoes but, yeah. in, um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know he's he's a very he's you know he's on tour. So literally, they like had scheduled him in on this one day where he was going to see the film, and then he went back on tour afterwards. And so uh, the man is uh, is, a, is a legend, and he you know he saw the thing, cried, and they held hands throughout the film, which is kind of interesting. Aww. And so there are all these moments that are really sweet, uh, and then. Um, the movie ended, the camera goes right into them and he's bawling and they go through all the different actors who are also in the film and they're all crying and stuff. And then when the camera pans back to Elton, uh, he's gone because uh, he's booked 10.30 to perform two songs at the after party and he wanted to go to the party now. So our Elton is a very, very uh, prompt and kind of practical man. It doesn't matter that the film was about him, but he had to go to a performance. So. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. Has anyone here ever seen him live? No. No, I no. don't think so. Great avenue to pursue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Three fans. I'm, I'm currently, I'm, I'm genuinely currently debating buying share tickets because they're £103. And like, that's a bit rich for my blood. That's the kind of concert goer I am. But if you could turn back time. If I could, if find, you could a way, find a way, yeah. <laughs> I'd take back those tickets. The, the other things that you'd spend money on that meant you couldn't the, afford the, the share tickets. Yeah, exactly. yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was yeah. a very I'd digress. love to see him live. It would be it would be, be incredible. I managed to tick Van Morrison off my bucket oh, list nice. a couple of oh, a couple wow. of years ago, which was okay. Uh, <laughs> it was a great experience, but um, I mean, if he, Van Morrison turns up and actually performs, that's already a win. He even told some jokes. What? It was amazing. It was because uh, we were uh, my wife and I were lucky enough to be invited to Belfast to uh, to go. This is a real digression on, the, on, a, <laughs> on a Rocket Man supporter special, but hey, let's go with it. So my wife and I were lucky enough to be invited to Belfast to. Uh, see Fan perform at this sort of dinner thing that he, this is how he likes to perform. He likes to go on stage and, and rattle and do a concert with like 20,000 people. He does that as well. Uh, he does these intimate dinner gigs. And there was a guy at my table who had seen him something like 50 or 60 times. Wow. Oh. And Fan comes out and does his set, only some of which, I mean, you know, I'm, a, I'm a big fan, but not a super diehard and some of the songs I didn't recognise he was doing a lot of bluesy stuff and some of the more recent things so he wasn't like doing he wasn't reaching into his grab bag of hits necessarily 
but uh, he was he was actually cracking jokes. Maybe it's because he was back home at Belfast, or whatever it was. And the guy turned to him after he cracked like his second joke. The guy turned to him. He's never done this. He's ne- <laughs> I've seen him fifty times. He has never done this. He has never talked to the audience. What's going on? I think maybe he knew I was in the audience. Yeah. And maybe he was making concessions for that. Wow. Let's go with that, shall we? <laughs> You anyway, say so. Anyway, back to, back to Rocket Man. Yeah. Back to Rocket Man. Uh, so that was a great experience in, in Cannes. It was cool. And then yeah. we all got invited to this after party, which, he, which we all knew that he was going to perform at. And there's a stage in the middle of this kind of party area. And then after, you know, things with Cannes parties is like you're really hungry. So the doors open and everybody just goes to the food, right? And then so we finished our food and we're like, all right, he's going to perform any minute now. 10.30 <laughs> was, the, was the time. Apparently he's prompt. So we all started going to this area. But then we realized that if we went to the beach side, we could see like Elton like super close so but we were like crabs like kind of going sideways (laughs) you know and then slowly moving past security people and stuff and then finally we got to the side of the stage and lo and behold when Elton comes out and he sings uh, his song and and then and then afterwards Taryn came out and did a duet with him so that was really cool but we were like right up watching him do two songs and then he left while everybody was congratulating Taryn he got on a plane went to Sweden because that's his next gig so the man cracks me up actually I think he's hilarious did he do jokes? No, didn't have time. He, he had a schedule to like. I got over. jokes. Yeah. No oh. Van Morrison. No, yeah. he's no Van Morrison. Yeah, you got real jokes. Yeah. <laughs> what two songs did he do? Uh, I don't remember. Oh, come on, Stevie. <laughs> this is bad. Actually, he did. Uh, he did. I'm still standing. I think. Oh no, I don't remember now. This your is song? really bad. So yeah. Well, no, he, he didn't do your song. Okay. Uh, and then and then he did duet with Taron. I really he don't remember any of this. Don't go breaking my heart. Because no, that's a good tune. That, that would have been amazing. We could just sit here for the next half hour and just name Elton John. Yeah. Can, can just you feel like, a love tonight? Know, Did you do that? Yeah. Let me buy some time while you tell me something else, and I will quickly uh, remember <laughs> in a in a Google, Google search kind of way. Let's let's start actually talking about the film by talking about the songs and the approach that this movie takes mm. uh, to the songs, and uh, you know, then we'll talk a little bit about how it not rips up the biopic format, but it, it certainly does interesting things with it. Uh, and the songs are interesting because of the way that Dexter Fletcher approaches this, which is that Taron Egerton could easily have tried to do either a straight-up Elton John impression or they could have done what they did on Bohemian Rhapsody, which is blend a little bit of the real Freddie Mercury with a little bit of a really great sound alike and, you know, meld the two together and just have it sound like it's Freddie Mercury singing. Yeah. Or they could have done what they did on Ray or even going way, way back, the likes of Jolson Sings Again, where they actually, you know, they had Al Jolson and they had, you know, they used Ray Charles's vocals and Al Jolson's vocals. But they don't do that. They have Taron Egerton singing mm. and he doesn't really, I think, try and sound like Elton John. Well, did that, how did that sit with you? He actually, right, so having heard that he didn't sound at all like Elton John... I was impressed that he sounded a little bit like Elton John. Right. So I, I got a little bit of that, but having had very low expectations, which may have coloured my impression there. Um, I mean, he's a hell of a singer. I, I should say that straight up, like just on a pure singing level, he's doing really, really well. But yeah, the use of the music was really interesting because I think what was good about this is that they didn't go for the hits. They didn't find a way to build in Candle in the Wind beyond a couple of bars early on. They didn't play Can You Feel the Love Tonight apart from, again, a couple of bars of instrumental at one point. Nikita. They, they didn't, no, but do you know what I mean? They didn't go for it. They didn't look at what are the best-selling songs, let's put all of those in, which is essentially, let's be honest, what Bohemian Rhapsody did and uh-huh. what most of these films do. They actually went with what fits the story right now and let's, find, let's build 
that in. Let's find a song that will tell this story at this moment and play that song, even if it's, I mean, I don't know if it's super obscure or fairly obscure. All I know is I didn't know half of them. So, you know, there really? were not maybe not half, yeah. but there's certainly a number mm. of songs here I'd never heard before. And that's clearly storytelling coming before, you know, playing the hits. Do you think that they, based on the lyrics of, of the of the songs, then formulated like this kind of storyline around it? Like, how did they because you talked to him? So I'm just yeah. curious, like if there was a lot of changes in terms of the script of how this, this storyline would play out. Uh, my feeling is, uh, having spoken to Dexter a few times uh, for this movie, is that uh, they had a basic structure in place. And they, there was a script in place after when he came on board. But he he said that the opening song, which is Now the Bitch is Back, was, mm-hmm. it was a different song. There were some songs that weren't in there that are now in there, some that, that, that were that aren't, that, that, that he had, some that weren't that he had then, then cast out uh, as well. Uh, so my feeling is that they, they had the idea that it begins with Elton going to rehab. It'll end with Elton going to rehab, and everything else in between is up, is up for for uh, is up for grabs. What interested me as well, apart from the decision to not have Taron do a, a Elton impression, was that they just don't give a shit about the chronology of the songs. They don't mm. yeah, they yeah. don't care about when the songs were written or when they were recorded. The second song we hear is "I Want Love," which right. came out in two thousand and one. Yeah. Film Has stops in about amazing, amazing video. That song, amazing video. Right. In fact. You know, I said on Twitter the other week that I think "Are You Ready for Love" is my favorite Elton track, but "I Want oh, Love" God. is is really? up there. Oh yeah, that's oh, why I did it at karaoke last I know, night. It's do, amazing. You do it at karaoke all the time. It's, it's just I was the literally worst. the first time I've done it at karaoke. I feel like I you feel sing like you've it done all it before, the time. I feel actually. that was the first time. <laughs> Both of us have karaoke yeah, with you. Yeah, and, and I have I've, never done that before. You've test run that song. I have in done. Some way, I've shame. done. I'm still standing. I've done. I guess is why they call it the blues. I have a spreadsheet. I can show you the spreadsheet. All right, guys. But uh, yeah, I Want Love is an absolute banger. And yeah, so they amazing. don't care that it was produced yeah. 17 years after this film nominally ends. But it does fit very well with those early scenes with his family, mm. you know, because they're clearly all screwed up on a deep, deep level. And I, and I think it's a moment of kind of humanity for the awful parents. I mean, they're awful. They're unbelievably bad. Um, but it, it does give you some context for that badness. It does give you some context of, OK, they were terrible with their son, but she was stuck in this unhappy <laughs> yeah. marriage. He was clearly suffering PTSD or something from the war, was just completely messed up. You know, they just were not capable of giving him what he needed. Also, they didn't give him what they needed because they were fucking dreadful parents. But, you know, there's, there's a humanity mm. there and there's a compassion there in the filmmaking and in the song choice, which I quite liked. And I don't know if you read the uh, amazing review of us in Empire Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let Some up-and-coming <laughs> film writer who just did an incredible job. No, uh, the incredible piece that Elton wrote for The Observer um, about this film and about the making of the film and how he thought it was, it was um, you know, he didn't lead a PG-13 life, so they didn't think the film should be PG-13. But he talked about the, the I Want Love scene was this the the moment that made him like absolutely ball like it just mm. absolutely got to him and i think that's such a clever use of matching song mm. to yeah. to drama and and sort of reframing that that song from being kind of a straightforward love song into really sort of emotional thing about these this family strife you know and mm. and and the, the how all of the members of this family like aren't getting what they want out of that of that home life. I, I had a realization while I was watching this film also is, is like all of these songs that we've listened to over the years when you kind of bring it back into the context of the film it's really about a lonely boy just trying to find like a companion yeah. or somebody mm. and so the idea that Bernie 
may or may not have kind of seen that from day one and that he wrote his songs in this context is kind of a genius move on yeah. his part. So I was really moved by, by the idea that maybe Bernie Taupin was the only man that understood him, even though, you know, and so that was that was a nice little underlying, like, kind of personal, like, kind of appreciation yeah. of the film, yeah. Almost like he was aware there was going to be a movie made. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. in, you know, in the future, you know, yeah. a musical was going to happen about his lyrics. Yeah. Well, yeah, when he's writing your song, which apparently isn't that far away from how it actually happened, you know, like where you would hand the, the, the lyrics yeah. with, yeah. with the egg on it. <laughs> like, like, I'm just going to write these and these lyrics are going to feel especially poignant if there's a scene in which I'm staring at you while you write this <laughs> just off the top of your head 50 years later it's going to be it's going to be amazing that was that was probably the closest that this film came to the We Will Rock You moment in being yes. Rhapsody right yeah. like yeah. that's yeah. sort of this is how they did it but I, I you can sort of give them one right like yeah. they're allowed yeah. one but also I think that fit because it felt like um he, you know, it, it felt like a scene that actually communicates several things, yeah. notably how good he is at music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel like we had that early scene where with him going into his audition at the Royal Academy, and and that's that's useful and that's that's good to have. But this was sort of he can write really fast and yeah. he can he can compose and he is prolific. And I think that scene just really neatly kind of gets that across. This guy, when he got these lyrics, something would click and he would come up with something that fit. And I think you yeah. needed you. I mean, there's no other way, maybe, than that sort of traditional sort of writing a song. Let's do the show right here, <laughs> yeah. yeah, kind of thing. I, I also liked. I th- I really liked their relationship. Like I think yeah. what you're saying, like that. That's such like a just sort of straightforward, simple, pure like yeah. friendship. Friendship, mm. yeah. Um, and it was like it survived the, the years. You know, the, that's something that just has lasted. It survives the years. It survives bad behaviour I think yeah. on both sides and, and sort of perceived betrayals at least on both sides it, it survives perhaps ill-advised um, or perhaps well-advised hit on Bernie by, by Elton because maybe they had to just have that conversation and get it out of their system what mafia hits? Yeah, no, the other kind of hitting, like, <laughs> like hitting on somebody. Pass. Oh, oh, I need a pass. A pass. Okay, I was going to say, I, it's like, think of the word, I, like, I forgot that scene from Goodfellas where Bernie walks into a room and it's empty, and he just oh goes, "Oh no!" And Elton smacks him over the head with the piano. I'm very Elton's just like, alone. "Go back and get your shine bucks." <laughs> Uh, I would watch a, f- a film where some Elton slaps somebody over the head with a piano, though. I mean, well, it's called Kingsman the Golden Circle, but <laughs> I gather you don't like that one particularly. <laughs> but, um, anyway. but I did watch it. <laughs> you did watch it, and you did do this water special with us as well. So thank you for your time. Um, but, <laughs> I'm feeling very gracious today. I don't know what oh, it is. Maybe because I saw Van Morrison crack some jokes just for me. Oh, my God. Anyway, yeah, the Bernie-Elton thing is a really lovely relationship and they, they treat it really nicely in this movie. The interesting thing about it is the movie goes to great lengths to say twice that they have never had an argument, which I am calling bullshit on right now. <laughs> there were arguments in the film, right? That seems like an argument to me. Well, I, I wondered if, I mean, certainly the first time I took it as him kind of lying in, in therapy, the same way he did lie about his family. Unreliable uh, narrator. Months. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it may also been an element of uh, there may be an element of truth in it in that the scenes that we see it's not a full on argument because Bernie doesn't argue back he sort of rolls his eyes and lets it go a little bit Bernie seems to be the one person who knows how to handle mm. Elton right. and his blowouts and his tantrums and maybe not the tiaras but which is just he handles just, those pretty well he does yeah Just it's like a backdraft and he just lets it blow itself out and then that lovely okay. scene backstage at the Royal Albert Hall where, where Elton's just like screaming at Bernie and then he just sort of pauses and is just like I'm sorry, sorry Bernie. Yeah. And Bernie's, yeah. Bernie's just like, 
don't even worry about yeah, it. I, I get it. This <laughs> just you. You're a diva, you know. And yeah. that's that's a really lovely dynamic that they just sort of get each other. I think I think there was one thing that I think the movie doesn't go out of its way to establish, and it's interesting. Some of the transitions are are, are fascinating. For example, if you if you look at the Honky Cat song, that in that song within that dance sequence, that's where we see Elton take drugs for the first time. Mm. And so they really just quickly go, okay, you don't need to see that cliched movie thing where he has a dealer come on to him, the dealer's sleazy and skeezy <laughs> or, and gets him hooked. The, the Dewey Cox uh, running joke about you don't want no part in this, Dewey <laughs> yeah. Cox. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, so it skips over a lot of sort of stuff, and so it means that sometimes Elton arrives a little bit too fully formed for my liking. Right. So the you know as, as Dexter Fletcher said in the interview, there was uh, more stuff with Lee Francis, a.k.a. Keith Lemon, but he's here, you know, Lee Francis, playing a, a character who's very instrumental in Elton's look and creating the boots and the spectacles and all that sort of stuff. But another thing that they kind of then skip over to get to all that stuff is the idea of Elton as a diva. Mm. Like when, when it, at the beginning when he sits down, he says, you know, I've, I'm addicted to sex, I'm addicted to drugs, I've got anger management issues. And we see bursts of that throughout the, the movie, but not as a kid necessarily. So we don't really see him throwing tantrums mm. as a kid. We don't really see any of that until... I'd say the Troubadour concert when he locks himself in the toilet. Right. Uh, so maybe there could have been a few flare-ups along those, yeah. way, along and, those and lines. And even then, just you know, thing. when he's told he has to come out and perform, he immediately comes out and performs. You know, he, the <laughs> professionalism, <laughs> you know, is there it's even over at, in that, at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, I'm, I'm going. Really to, I've got to yeah. be in ten thirty. Ten thirty. I'm yeah. scheduled. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Actually, um, I first saw twenty minutes of this this film uh, at Abbey Road. Uh, name drop. Name drop. Name drop. And which uh, is it is amazing in Studio Two where the Beatles did all that that crazy shit that they did and uh, that sequence was in there pretty much this entirety from the moment in Dick James's office where Stephen Graham who is almost this movie's hit, unsung hero is his MVP he's so good uh, to the, the to the Troubadour concert to Crocodile Rock with the levitation and all that stuff and the moment I kind of realised this was I mean I knew I'd been on set and I'd spoken to Dexter an awful lot and I'd spoken to Matthew Vaughan about this over the years as well and the, the message had always been R-rated we're not shying away from the sex. Mm. We're not shying away from the drugs. This is we're gonna we're gonna go for it. Balls out, if you will. But that was the moment where I kind of realized, oh, actually, even though Elton is the producer on this, and even though I'm sure it's gonna soft soap some stuff, and certainly the the last five minutes is a party political broadcast for the Elton John party, <laughs> that bit where he locks himself in the toilet, has a tantrum, and someone bangs in the ray bangs in the door and goes, Get out of that toilet, you little twat. Uh, <laughs> that was the moment I thought, okay, they're playing slightly they're playing a slightly different game here to Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. which was which was so hagiographic yeah. and just so ass kissy yeah. that it, it graded I think that's fair I agree yes good yes. <laughs> I probably should have asked a question there Robin, just... <laughs> no but I think I think that's right I think I think it's um, he set out to make a warts and all sort mm. of biopic and you know it may not be every wart he's ever had as it were but it's <laughs> but it's a fair oil collection a witch would be proud of it do you know what I mean yeah, yeah. I and, may have gotten slightly off topic but also fair dues to Elton for you know, he signed off on this entire movie. I mean, I, he wasn't on set every day, but but he was okay with the idea of it being quite an unflattering portrait in many cases. Um, and I, but, you know, but I, th- I think he's right because it, it made it made me come out with enormous affection for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, totally. I frankly never really had. I mean, yeah. I, you know, he's there. He's been there my entire life. He's 
made some songs that I enjoy singing along to, but you know, I can't say I run out and buy a new Elton album all the time. At the end of the day, David Furnish, his partner, his real life partner, was a producer on this film yeah. too. So mm. no matter how like how much he he was like not on involved, he knew that he had an, a person that was going to have his back yeah. no matter yeah. what. So even the the bad parts were still not as bad as maybe they could have been, mm. and so it was always in safe hands. But I don't think you want that either, Stevie, because you have this. The, the movie sets this up to be this really lovely Technicolor bright blast of of fantasy fun in right. a way. So even when it gets into the dark stuff, even when it gets into the you know, the drugs and the the suicide attempt and and all that all that sort of stuff, uh, if that had been as dark as it obviously was in real life, right. I think it would have been it would have really taken you out of the movie. It would have really it would, it would have been a downer from which the film couldn't recover. Yeah. I think the, the person that's really interesting that they presumably signed off on this movie, or at least the lawyers signed off on this movie, is John Reed. Now, he's still alive. Yeah, he uh, is. Richard Madden's character, of course. He's still alive. I am genuinely interested. So either things are, this is all so incontrovertibly in the public record that the lawyers are like, I mean, we're going to be fine on this, not right. a problem. Or he's signed off on it. Um, he did sign off on it because wow. I even asked Richard, I'm like, you know, he's still alive. Did you even try to reach out to him? Because I had an option to meet up with him, but he I, he just didn't want to like kind of that tarnish his performance. So he wow. was in agreement to meet. So that that's how far they were with, with in agreement with this. So that is crazy. Yeah. Because wow. he's almost like a pantomime villain in this. Yeah. Isn't he? yeah. Like he's, he's such an awful, awful bastard. I mean, it's an abusive relationship, really, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Absolutely is. Yeah, that's crazy. That I, I really would love to hear John Reed's reaction. It is fascinating as well, given that the same character is obviously in Bohemian Rhapsody, yes. <laughs> yeah. played yeah. also by a former Game of Thrones <laughs> cast member. Yeah, um, but it's a slightly different one. I mean, he's still a bit of a, a douchebag in Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, he, you know, Reddy still leaves him in the in the car and basically fires him in you know in traffic. But uh here, yeah, he's absolutely he's Machiavellian. And he is from the off as well. I mean the very mm. first shot of him at the Troubadour is basically mm. looking at Elton and you can see the he's almost like a Ka-ching. panther, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, he's just like I will have my way with yeah, this very, one. Very sheer can and he'll have his way in quite a few ways. Yeah. <laughs> he um, certainly will. And uh, I thought Richard Madden is, is terrific in this. He's amazing, yeah. And and very he he's never had a role that's quite as sort of aggressively seductive as this you know like oh there are bits in the bodyguard uh, okay yeah yeah maybe was he aggressively seductive I feel like he, everything happened to him in the bodyguard Is, am I sorry this is a bit of no, 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 he was aggressively okay. seduced yeah. Oh, we, yeah. we did a Van Morrison spoiler special we can do a, we can do a bodyguard spoiler special too I feel like he just didn't know what was going on he just like kind of react the whole show it felt like he was reacting to oh, there's a little bit of yeah, a little bit of mm. activity in the bedroom scenes. Oh, yeah, said. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think, how do, I, how do I say this exactly? Rotting? Oh, no, I wasn't going to... Wow. That's Bonking? never been my good go-to word. Bonking. Bonking. Bonking's better. Bonking I can live with. Is that a town somewhere in the UK <laughs> that I don't know yes, about? Yes, it's Is near it? Dorking. Oh, yeah, yeah, hello, it. I come yeah. from the town of Bonking. <laughs> Up first thing in the morning, what? Uh, I still giggle when I hear the words cock foster, so I'm just like, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I, I mean, love your country. I, think, I just want to throw this around. <laughs> if you don't giggle, then you're dead in... Yeah. Oh, you're dead, yeah. You have a dead heart. Except for people that live in cock foster. No, they probably like, come do on. Yeah. Probably every single yeah. day. Yeah. But that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? In a, in a movie where there's no real conflict in the Bernie and Elton relationship, uh, there's a lot of conflict in the relationship with his mum, obviously. Yeah. Uh, that John Reed relationship is is interesting. Yeah. With John Reed and with his relationship with Elton comes, I think one of the things uh, that was a chief uh, um, a major concern for people going into this movie, which was Elton's sexuality and how the movie was going to deal with that, and 
the discussion that uh, emerged from Bohemian Rhapsody of straight washing yeah. uh, or, you know, almost glossing over Freddie Mercury's, Freddie Mercury's sexuality as well. And again, this is something I was told right from the right from the off of this movie that they would not be doing. What did we make of that, that side of the movie? I felt that they had, of course, people had questions because of Bohemian Rhapsody. And so it was it was like a talking point, but it almost felt like they made it into a talking point. So even that whole thing about how maybe Paramount was going to cut some scenes from it, that didn't, because Paramount was like, we never really had any decisions, you know? So, so it felt like somebody within the PR team from the producer side may have leaked out a story to kind of create more news and and so i don't know i'm just being a little bit of a of a you cynic. Know, yeah cynic here but <laughs> but i mean i'm glad it's still in there of course mm. and and they had a sex scene which is great but i mean was it as raunchy as they were they were like making it out to be no i they get were, a sense it might have been trimmed a little bit yeah mm. around the bush oh god oh. <laughs> It's like I could see that joke coming and there was nowhere to hide from it. You, you could have stopped it. You could have stopped it. You can't stop it. You can't stop but can't be stopped. The runaway train. I mean it wasn't it wasn't a you know, it wasn't a wildly sort of explicit sex scene. It no. wasn't it wasn't at all I mean, it was missionary. I know, by the, yeah. by the time I got up to complain to the manager it was yes. over. Oh, I was yeah. <laughs> What what is going on here? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And he's like, sequence. That's what's going on. So. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's not a, it's, there's not a lot of full-on rutting or bonking, if you will. Oh, but, please uh, don't say rutting again, but the, but the film absolutely does wholeheartedly embrace yes. Elton's sexuality as, and say, look, this, he is a gay man. Yes. It's a start, isn't it? It's a start, mm. and I think it, somebody described it as the first gay sex scene in a major Hollywood studio film. I don't know if that's true or not, but... Um, it's, is you know, that true in 2019? It's it's entirely possible. Oh, I mean, wow. like Hollywood has been pretty slack on on this sort of thing. I guess we're we're kind of we're now splitting hairs about what's a yeah, major yeah, Hollywood release exactly, and yeah. and that sort of yeah. thing. I mean, because even this, you know, the budget of this movie isn't anything compared to a Transformers or a Marvel movie. Right. So. But uh, it, it certainly does seem like a, like Were a step there in the right direction. Were two robots in Transformers that hooked up? Was that, did I miss that one? <laughs> Sorry, I well, didn't Well, they do sexualize In the Transformers the movies I watched, Steve. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's been a running joke about Transformers porn on Twitter. From If, if anybody is interested, you should look at the account really? of Gail Simone, the comic book writer. Yeah. Really? She's like, uh, it's, it's basically, uh, it's basically okay. <laughs> the joke is, okay. I, I realize they have to keep raising the stakes in Transformers porn, but I miss the love. And then it's just footage of like machines. <laughs> That's it. Wow. With like a toaster and a... But like people a... just keep putting up pictures of machines with the same, with the same line above it. Wow. Anyway, there Amazing. you go. Enjoy. Okay. Um, we have a couple of questions uh, from people. Uh, so David Hughes of this parish is one of the, just one of the people uh, who's asked, what do we think about the censorship of Rocketman in Russia, Paramount's reaction to it and the issue of local culture-based censorship? So basically Russia cut... The uh, the gay and the drug content out of the film, uh, and Elton John has come out and said he, he does not approve. Taron Egerton has come out and said he does not approve of this as well. Um, and what do we feel about this? I mean, because they they also cut some of the the gay content out of Bohemian Rhapsody, I believe, in China, mm-hmm. which cut the running time from 120 minutes to 119 minutes and 55 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, but what do we make of that? This uh, I I feel it's it's pretty damned egregious. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, that speaks more to to sort of Russia's sort of slightly backwards facing. Quite very backwards. But yeah. if you're a Russian watching this film, who, what type of person do you think Elton John 
is. I mean, like, what do you go in? I know. He's they're like, oh, I'm watching a biopic of a heterosexual male and and, and his mother. You know, like, like, like what's what? the framing device in that? <laughs> yeah, case? exactly. If it's not drug addiction or sex addiction, like, it's just that's bizarre. I, I, I mean, apart from anything else, it's narratively bad. But as you say, but yeah. you know, it's also just bad. Like, we just. Yeah, I think I feel like you just have to suck it up and not release it in those countries if yeah. they're going to be censorious mm. dicks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this is this is a major issue now. Now that China is a major market in Hollywood, there they are tailoring films to its market and they are tailoring films to its rules. Um, but but I just find it um, slightly appalling, especially in a case like this where it is, you know, a man's story. It's, and if you take a huge chunk of his life out like that, then what are you left with? Well, also in China, the whole film, it, I mean, all his songs are now in Chinese. I'm joking. But <laughs> could you imagine? It's like all Chinese songs. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, yes, they, they there's some editing over there. But I mean, at least gay exists in, in China. That's I've true, seen, that's I've true, seen that's gay, true. gay yeah. theme films, you know, over there. And so I don't know what it was Whereas that maybe they Russia's, had issues. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's that that question nailed. (laughs) Take that, Russia. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I think we can all agree that Russia right now is not being a moral leader on the world stage. I'm just going to go out and say that. Yeah, and of course they have a history as as well of of hacking stuff. But uh, believe me, guys, that the Emperor podcast... Russia is great. All hail Vladimir Putin. I, Chris Hewitt, am very silly man with very silly accent. Please... Visit Russia. Peace out. Oddcast. Uh, so, so yeah. So I hope that that strong condemnation of Russia that I just did for a good five minutes. It feels mm, like, guys. I was just yes. sounding off in Russia for. I mean, you used to back down from that. That's. I, re- I, I, I said some. I said Chris. some pretty damned incendiary yeah. things about Russia there, but uh, you know they're still standing. So should we move on? Should <laughs> yes. we move on to something else? Here's another question, and uh, this question comes from D. Clark. Uh, do you think the fact that Rami Malek and Bo Rap cleaned up at the Oscars will hurt Rocketman's chances, even when it is in every way a much better film? And uh, first of all, can I just say I agree with that—that that it is <laughs> in every conceivable right. way a much better film. I think it'll help. I, I it, it's—I mean, there will be comparisons. We're, mm. we're doing it, um, but at the end of the day, it, it is everybody's agreeing that it's a better film, uh, and so come. This you know Oscar season when uh, d- uh, come Oscar season when they're doing the the, the kind of uh, press tour and stuff. I think people are going to be very open to to having him be nominated. Mm. I don't think he'll win, but I don't think he'll win. Really good- I don't think he'll win just because they they won't want to pull the same trick twice. Right. Mm. Yeah. I, th- I think the problem with the comparison is it does feel like um, a very and it isn't actually in filmmaking terms, but they will they'll feel like it's the same sort of trick. It'll, it's the same. Mm-hmm. You know, idea. Oh, let's do a biopic of a beloved musician of the seventies and eighties, and and beyond, of course. But I feel like there there is that risk of the format becoming mm. a little stale. Um, as I sort of said when we talked about this on the podcast, on the main podcast, you know, having all of these planned mu- films about great musicians of thirty years ago, forty years ago, is beginning to feel like a trend. Mm. I mean, you know, these. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, Rocket Man, Yesterday. There's a Madonna one in production. There's a Boy George one in production. You know, that's a lot of films with a similar basis. Um, so I, I, I do think you risk something there. And like I say, I mean, all of them so far, Bohemian Rhapsody, This and Yesterday, um, they are actually very, very different. They do have very, very different approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does begin to feel like 
something similar. The second it doesn't make money, we've got another, they're jumping onto another trend then. So Well, it's, it's, that's true. Yeah. And then the other problem with that is, and Bohemian Rhapsody did such a ridiculous yeah. amount of money, that does Rocket Man suffer from the comparison if it doesn't make stupid money? Right. That's the thing, it's, it's kind of already had that, because mm-hmm. it opened at the weekend in the States to 25 million, whereas uh, Bohemian Rhapsody opened to, I think, over 50, 50 million, and then just displayed incredible legs. Now, I think a large part of that is uh, Queen fans demonstrated that they're mm-hmm. very, very loyal and, and perhaps Elton John fans are the same and they will go back again and again and again. For me, it feels like this one should be rewarded more for just taking risks yeah. and it takes risks mm-hmm. with the format and uh, again, we, we said we would talk about this and we, we didn't so let's get around to it right now and the fact that it is it is a musical, the yeah. fact that it, it does, I, I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm racking my brains to think of a, of a musical biopic that, that does what this movie does. This is not Mamma Mia, it's not a jukebox musical in that way as you were saying, Helen, it's not the yeah. greatest hits. And then it actually takes his songs and tells a story in an interesting way. And rightfully off, it basically throws you into the deep end. It goes, you know, first first two minutes, I'm a musical guy. There's a little kid and he's singing. And now this guy's singing. Yeah. And it's not the same arrangement as the song you, as you know and love either. So deal with it. Either by, you like it or you don't. By the way, the kids were great, I thought. Yeah. Both, yeah. both kids were really, really good. John, this, I think this is one of the reasons why this film grabbed you so much because I, I remember you were talking to you after you came out of the, the, the film yeah. and you were impressed by its, its chutzpah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I did feel like in, in many respects in terms of its structure, it, there were parts of it that felt a little formulaic, but it's the way that that formula was presented that felt totally new and fresh. Mm-hmm. And the, the sort of the, how it was just willing to just swing for the fences with the fantasy stuff was... I was really stunned by some of the the things I was seeing. You know, like there's a bit where Elton John literally explodes into a firework. I mean, (laughs) like that is I've never seen that on a cinema screen before. That's amazing. There's a song where he sings underwater. Like that. This is it. it, it, The same song, in fact. Yes, the same song. Yeah, I love the moment where he starts levitating from the piano, which you know is such a clever way of like that's. That's that famous photo of him literally looking like he's levitating mm. from the piano. And they, they take that and expand that and then they make the whole audience levitate. I mean, that's just really clever. And it, and it, and it sort of communicates mm. in a visual way the sort yeah. of how you feel about music yeah. when it really f- speaks mm. to you, you know, the that's, sort of power yeah. of music. That's how I felt whenever Van Morrison cracked a joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The, the whole audience just rose <laughs> as one. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else get that? No? no. Okay, just me then. Yeah. All right. <laughs> no, but I, I do, I do love that, and the, the whole Rocketman sequence. I mean, you know, it's it's such a fine you know, to quote final time. It's such a fine line between you know, clever and stupid, mm. um, and and there really is because so many sequences in this film could have just fallen flat in their face. Mm. The whole Rocketman sequence, for example, is is a suicide attempt, and. There's a bit where he's then taken to hospital and they're pumping his stomach and he's still singing as he gets the oxygen mask right. on and uh, they're pushing him along on a gurney and then it turns into a dance number and you just push that a millimetre in the wrong direction and you have cheesy, you have kitsch, you have downright bad oh, yeah, yeah. and they manage to somehow... You have, yeah, yeah. They, they skirt that line very, I, very well. I have full credit, credit to Dexter Fletcher. I think he does a phenomenal, phenomenal job of, of, of absolutely towing that line throughout and keeping it the right side of... Bad, <laughs> keeping the right side of kitsch or bad or anything you want to say. I, I think it's it's really cleverly balanced, and and even some of the sort of the transition from you know kid on a piano in a in a pub to you know teenager who's now kind of maybe not quite professional level, but he's very very close, if not 
you know, that was nicely done just through mm. the, the, the sake of one song. Mm. Um, and that's a really cliched, you know, thing you have to go through in a biopic, right? We've all done that. You know, it's the sort of the walk hard, you know, Dewey Cox claiming he's 15, um, looking like John C. Riley kind of thing, you know. But it works really, really well in this film. And I think that's all credit to him. I mean, I think it is cheesy in places. I think, sure. you know, there are elements of Broadway musicals mm-hmm. here. There's elements yeah. of like Busby Berkeley, like old school MGM musicals. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you sort of let it go. It's such a, like, it's let such it a... Not that, let it go. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't. Please don't. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's... The one and only wickedly talented <laughs> Adele Bassoon. <laughs> it's, I, I think you, you, you go for the ride, right? If you, you have to go along for the ride. And I know I have spoken to, we have colleagues who did not go did along not for go the ride. Did not go along for the ride, yes, fair. Um, and that's, that's okay. You know, I, I don't think it, it works for everyone, but... Mm-hmm. Um, if you're on board, I think it's it's a hell of a trip. But yeah, there are other examples of where it's audacious and thrilling, and I really really enjoyed that uh, the rendition of uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, where it's Bernie singing it, and mm-hmm. the way that the mm. strings so nice build up as he's about yeah. to to burst almost. Uh, I thought Jamie Bell handled that really well. I well. have one thing. I wish there was more Jamie Bell singing throughout this film. I mean, I know it's the Elton John movie, but like when he starts to sing, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, his good, voice is good, so yeah. good. Yeah. And, and I got chills the first time I heard that, and I was like, oh. I wish Jamie just did more. They gave him more songs yeah. to do. I kind of wish that 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 you know been more of a standard musical because uh, you know in a standard musical, and I talked about this with Dexter Fletcher a little bit that you know people get their own numbers yeah. and they, they get yeah. their moments to shine in the spotlight. Here they get maybe three or four lines. Richard right. Madden only sings during Honky Cat, for mm. example. You know, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard literally only sings during I Want Love. So. You know, maybe they could have gone down more down that route, but they, they didn't. Uh, so we don't have a lot of time left. So let's talk about Taron Edgerton and his performance. Um, he runs the gamut from Elton aged, what, 17, I guess, up to 42. Uh, what do we make of that, John? I thought he did a pretty bloody good job, to be fair. I mean, um, we talked a little bit about, you know, what it is with his performance versus his impersonation. I think I, I, I felt his speaking... Mm-hmm. Voice was more Elton than Me his too. singing voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He he gets there's the occasional there's line where you get that sort of the sort of pompousness of his voice. You know that sort of slightly like I'm not going to try to do the voice, but, <laughs> but 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 you know what I mean. Like when, the, especially in the later scenes and the, yeah. the the rehab scenes, the the confidence that he has and right. the the confidence in his status as a megastar right. Right. is very much there in his voice. Like, that's what I thought. You know, the sort of not quite impatience, but just sort of no nonsense kind of. I know what I am. My yes. time is more valuable than yours by a lot. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to say, and then we're going to move on kind of thing, yeah. you know? And mm. I felt like that that kind of came across in those scenes and that kind of rhythm of how we spoke. Where have I heard that before? That tone of voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, James, is, James isn't here. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, Stevie, what did you think of uh, Taron's performance? Uh, I mean, it... it huh, now I'm going to sound like a, a bad man. Oh, uh, you're a bad man. I'm going to be a bad... I, I, and I sang it yesterday. Uh, but uh, to... I think Taron was really great. And this is... You knew that that he... He was going to get this big performance, and he put his whole heart into this whole thing. And you can just see that he was so proud of everything mm-hmm. that he was doing. And that's what a, what a great opportunity. Um, I'm a little bit bummed because I I think I wanted a little bit more from him. And so we were. I felt that I was watching maybe the five faces of Taron Edgerton, um, and and I was hoping that maybe he would have maybe. 12 kind of performance kind Ooh. of angles. I'm just going to throw that out there. But <laughs> for what it is, it's it was, it, I mean, t- 
singing amazing. I, mm. But after a while, I was just like, I was being nitpicky and I was like, oh, I just want a little bit more than that face, mate. <laughs> yeah, so sorry. Yes. No, no. I, 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 do you know what I thought was really good, though, about his, his performance is that for a very handsome young man, I thought he did oh, a good you. job of playing someone who's insecure about their looks. Mm, yeah. Which is, I think, sometimes quite difficult for actors because they don't get it um, because they're all beautiful. You know, um, and, yeah, I, I, and I think he kind of made you believe it, even though he didn't, you know, he didn't wear prosthetics or ugly himself up or anything. But you kind of believed that he might have some insecurities, yeah. which I thought was was quite impressive in and of itself. He did the same in Eddie the Eagle as well. Right. Also yeah, with Dexter true. Fletcher, where right. he just put on a pair of thick glasses and yeah. did a little gurney face and uh, I managed to capture uh, Eddie the Eagle as well. Yeah, I thought he was terrific, absolutely terrific in this. But I also feel that in terms of the nomination thing we were talking about earlier on, I think the fact that this movie comes out in May... Oh, yeah. yeah. May count yeah. against it because it'll, it'll probably get lost in the shuffle. Question from At Film versus Book and a couple of other people actually. In fact, why did the film stop when it stopped? Did you want to see anything from later life? Elton meeting David Furnish, writing The Lion King, that sort of thing. <laughs> no. I, I, think, I think it probably makes sense to stop it where it did, but I, I wouldn't have minded a sort of meet cute with David Furnish just because he's such a big part of his life, you know, and I think that's Well, for the sequel, sweet. maybe. We yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> did you hear what the original stop was going to be? Did you hear about this? No. Uh, the original stop, and this is now we're heading into spoiler territory, is well, that... Steve, you, where have you been for the I last know, I'm like, I've just been like, <laughs> the whole thing about other things, obviously. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the moment where the whole family show up in the... Uh, that final scene where he's in this kind of... the, the therapy room yes. and all the ghosts come and talk to him and they do that. It was going to end right there. That was going to be the official. It did feel like an ending to me. And then yeah. they looked at it and they're like, oi, that is not a good ending. And so uh, that's why they then went and shot the I'm Still Standing sequence with, you know. Which is that. interesting. <laughs> I, I didn't get a chance to talk to Dexter about it, but that's the only real moment of actual recreation. I mean, yeah. that's that yeah. video recreated beat for beat. And it's yeah. fun. And it sends <laughs> so you out on a high because it's a fucking banger exactly. of a tune. But exactly. It is interesting. Yeah, that, that scene at the end is what I was saying earlier on. Apart from also the, uh, the, the credits at the end, you know, Elton. He launched an AIDS charity. Yeah. Elton, he is very happily married. Elton, he is great. Elton, he is awesome. You know, it felt a little bit like that. Yeah. Have you heard about Elton? But I also feel like, how could you not end that movie on I'm Still Standing? Right. Yeah, yeah. Which felt like, I mean, the yeah. perfect ending. But can you imagine if it ended right there? It would have oh, been like, boy. boy. Yeah, like, yeah. like oh, oh, I mean, because that, no, like, that feels like if you ended it there, I feel like you end on a reprise of... I want love. Yeah. Like, it just, mm. you know, and that's... No, for, you, could, you could end this movie on two other points, right? You could okay. end this movie on... You could okay. end it on a reprise of the moment from Kingsman 2 where he kicks someone in the face <laughs> while looking at the camera, <laughs> which is the greatest moment in cinema history, uh, apart from Portals, 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 obviously. Portals, Portals, and, and, uh, or John, you we could, should talk about Portals. Yeah, we should yes. talk about Portals, John. Uh, or you could, uh, you could end it on a Circle of Life style. Uh, he and, and his little babies... He holds he his holds little babies alone, And all the people yeah. in his life are gathered beneath... Yeah, clapping. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I want to see been. that. <laughs> there may still be time to reshoot. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> that would have been uh, absolutely amazing. The circle amazing. of life rules us all, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. I, I finally remembered what two songs he sang at this thing. Should I hey, touch? Is this something was like... Was it Hakuna Matata? Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. Uh, I'm still standing by himself. And then he did Rocket Man with uh, Terrence. Oh, of course so, okay. is. There you go. Amazing. Yep. But yeah, I think this is a perfect point in which to end uh, that the film because... Also, I think had Taron played any later than forty-two, then <laughs> it was already the stretched. The, it was already stretched. The prosthetics <laughs> might have been; they just had to work cut out. And the very, very last question is the first one I received, and it's from at Mrs. Pancakes. 
which songs missing from the movie would you have liked to see in the movie and to see this cast perform? I'll answer this first, uh, which is uh, Someone Saved My Life Tonight, which is a great, uh, apart from the ones I've already mentioned, apart from maybe This Train Don't Stop Here Anymore or um, Are You Ready for Love, which I can imagine is difficult <laughs> to work into this film. Um, I would have chosen Sacrifice. I don't know if you remember that ballad. It's first number one in the UK, first yeah. solo number one in the UK. Uh, and that just in itself about like infidelity and kind of dealing with – So uh, there's a storyline in there where it's about like kind of being heartbroken and, and trying to stay, you know, positive in this kind of situation. So I, I thought it was actually going to be in the film and I was really surprised that it didn't make the cut. So, yeah. You could maybe have gone for Nikita. I don't know if anybody oh, remembers Nikita. Nikita. such yes. a great song. The video as well was about – Russia and relations in Russia. And the thing about Russia if is, you ask me, Russia is still great. All hell, Vladimir Putin. We are innocent of all hacking charges. I, Christian, am silly man who is terrible in bed. Peace out. Russia. And again, guys, I'm really sorry to have gone off another 10-minute rant oh about Russia. That was Russia's. really, really violent. I, I, I hope we don't get hacked, is oh all I can God. say. Oh, God. I, I, I just, I've destroyed half the furniture in this place. Uh, I've got to finish up. John, what, what, what songs would you put in there? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I was just trying to remember if Daniel was in there. I don't think it's it was. very briefly. In that in a really funny scene with uh, Stephen Graham. It's for this first uh, song okay. he plays. Okay, okay. Hey, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I would have liked a bit more of, I guess that's why they call it the blues. Because yeah. oh. I think you only get that little bit in that yeah. same scene. And I really like that one. Good point. Good point and a good point on which to end. That is it for our Rocketman spoiler special. Join us next time for more spoiler special related fun. We'll be discussing X-Men Dark Phoenix Ooh. with the writer-director of that film, Ooh. Simon Kimberg. He won't be in the room. That'd be really weird, wouldn't it, to have a director actually in the room <laughs> as we pick apart their film? I didn't <laughs> like, like the thing I mean, you did in that one yeah. scene. <laughs> Simon, you may want to cover your ears for this bit. It'd <laughs> be interesting. Uh, until then, the regular podcast is out every Friday as well. If you don't already subscribe, and uh, then please do so. And hey, leave us nice reviews on iTunes. It really does help. Every little bit helps. But until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. It is goodbye leaving on a jet plane, going back to the United States of America, Stevie Wong. I'm out of here. Aww. Oh, man. What a shame. I know. Trump's here. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, is it a one in, one out policy? Yeah, it is. It's one of those. It's one of those. <laughs> We're sending back one of their best people, and they've, look what they've sent us. Oh, man. Sucks. And it's goodbye from John Nugent. Goodbye. And it's goodbye for me. I uh, Look, guys, I know I've, I've unburdened myself a few times already, but I just want to say a few more things about Russia, if that's all right with you. <laughs> so the thing about Russia is... Russia continues to be great. All hail Vladimir Putin. I, Chris Hewitt, am silly man with bad breath and terrible facial hair. Call that a beard? I am ashamed to call that a beard. Also, I have tiny winky. Really tiny. Visible only under a microscope. Peace out. <laughs> Well, there we go. Another tirade. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. (laughs) 